I'm spoiled tonight having Zoe as a server. We haven't had a server in a long time. And it's very nice to have her here. Welcome aboard, Zoe. We've got two Christmases for preparing. One outside and one here. And I think it's sort of twisted. They're inside out. We began with our song, O Come Emmanuel. We lit the Advent wreath, four candles representing the four weeks that prepare us for the coming of Christmas. But that's already done. Outside, it's already, the lights are up, the trees are up. This week, Rockefeller will light their tree, and it all starts. It's inside out. Because we have yet to celebrate Christmas. We're doing it modeled on the original advent, the original coming of Christ. And of course, that is modeled on the original way for the Messiah during the time of Isaiah and the other prophets. So Christmas is turned inside out. The world is differently celebrating it than we are. But you and I, we're doing it the right way. Commercialism, this seems to be the mandate, and it's not only here, United States, it's throughout the world. If you go online, you'll see Christmas markets throughout the world. And we have one here in Bryant Park and downtown and a few other places. But it's Advent. It's not Christmas. If anything, they should be called Advent markets preparing for Christmas. But the world has a different idea because Christmas is turned inside out for the world. What's our method of celebrating the season? Well, we have a metaphor from Isaiah. Basically, the whole direction of our Christian life, but this, these were Jews, so our Judeo-Christian heritage is moving toward God in our lives. And that's the whole direction of Advent, moving toward God, preparing for God's return at the end of time. Not only preparing for, historically, his birth in Bethlehem. So there are several models for this season of Advent. There's the world's model, which skips Advent completely. There's the Judeo-Christian model that goes back to waiting for the Messiah. There's Mary's model, pregnant with Jesus, waiting for the birth that will eventually take place in Bethlehem. Those last three are ours. The world has gone awry, and the world has said, let's, let's skip the Advent, because Advent is a, a season of waiting, preparing, appreciating, getting to know Jesus, getting to appreciate him in our lives, getting to appreciate his coming in history, and the world has no time for that. Let's get to it, bottom line. Let's get right to Christmas, choose the gifts, make the tree, and we sort of skip Advent. Don't do it at home. 
You can put your tree up and all that if you wish. But do it with the concept of preparing for December 25th in sync with the Advent season. And the Advent season instruction booklet, you might say, is right here every Sunday in the scriptures. The first goal, historically, of Advent, as written in Isaiah, was the hope that we would all get together. Now, we have, that's like a common theme, radio, TV, parties, get together. But this is a different get-together. This is a get-together on God's holy mountain. And the stipulation of everybody coming to God's holy mountain which is where the temple was in Zion. And it wasn't a very high mountain, but it was on a mountain, and everyone in Jerusalem, throughout the Holy Land, knew the temple was on a mountainside. Huge? No. Raised up? Yes. And wherever they went, were coming from the Holy Land, they always went up to, whether they're coming north or south, east or west, they always went up to the mountain of the Lord. Metaphorically, because the temple was the pinnacle of the meeting of God and his people. Sounds like church. Sounds like us. Coming here to meet God in the Eucharist and his word. So Isaiah is uh, announcing this, and he announces it by telling the people, let's all get online, and let's all start walking toward the mountain, and as we are walking toward the mountain, say, let us climb the Lord's mountain to the house of the God of Jacob. And as we repeated in the responsorial psalm, let us go rejoicing to the house of the Lord. So whether you came from your own homes or shopping this evening, you have come to the house of the Lord. You've come up to the house of the Lord, even though we might be downtown or across town, from, we are going to, and we have arrived at the house of the Lord. Our present metaphor, but Isaiah was talking about the temple. And what's the stipulation to enter the house of the Lord. What are the rules? He makes it very clear. God will judge. And he'll impose terms on people. And the goal? Boy, do we need this now more than ever. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. You hate to say it, but look at, look at Ukraine. Look how they have suffered and are suffering because of the elements of war coming from their, quote, neighbor, Russia. It's happening today, not only in Ukraine, it's happening throughout the world. People are fighting and warring each other. So the weapons, the swords, are being used as swords and bombs and other means of destruction, even the threat of chemical warfare. See, the call was thousands of years ago. This is 700 years before Christ. But the call is contemporary. That's what's unique about our faith. We're headed toward 
the second coming of Christ. But in the road toward that day, we're repeating a lot of history. That's why it's good for us to be aware. What's going on throughout the world in the realm of destruction has happened already in other places, but still we haven't gotten there. We haven't beaten our swords into plowshares, into means of cultivating the land. The opposite is happening. Poison in the waters and the land. The goal? One nation shall not raise a sword against another. See, when that happens, we'll know we've arrived. It hasn't happened yet. But that's our goal as a church and as a community of believers and as, as humanity to not fight against each other as nations or ethnicities, religions, our goal is to be at peace with each other. But it can't happen out there unless it happens here. We are the peacemakers. We who believe in Jesus Christ as Prince of Peace need to usher in the true meaning of Advent moving toward Christmas. Isaiah is spelling it out for us. Peace, respect. These readings are, I mean, you realize these readings are God's word to us. I mean, this might as well be published in today's newspaper or on Twitter or on Facebook. We heard Paul. Paul was living in that period where the Christians thought Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. So they started acting up. And Paul put a stop to that. And you know what's funny? If I read this to you and said this was in this morning's New York Times, you would say, yeah, it's pretty accurate. Throw off the deeds of darkness. Get dressed. Put on the armor of light. And celebrate properly. Now listen to the office parties. Listen to the parties at home. Listen to what we do. This is Paul. 2,000 years ago, but it could be today. Stop your orgies and drunkenness. Don't act out in promiscuity and lust. Behave. Stop acting in rivalry and jealousy. But get dressed and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. 2,000 years ago. But that could be today. I'm sure many of us are invited to parties. And I'm sure not all of our parties end up in drunkenness and promiscuity. But there are people who celebrate Christmas without Jesus. You celebrate Christmas without the Christ. You're just celebrating a winter feast. So Paul's application and instruction to us 2,000 years ago is certainly applicable. Celebrate. Family, friends. Drink, eat, good, but without rivalry, without hate, and always remembering the poor who don't have as much as we have. Because then we're really celebrating the goal, Christ's coming. Otherwise, it's just 
putting up a bush, lighting it, gathering around it, drinking our, to our heart's content, taking advantage of each other, and then December 26th it comes down, and it's all half price. See how the world has turned Christmas inside out? But we have the inside. We have the authentic idea of Christmas in the scriptures. As a reminder, Matthew's Gospel says, you know, all the celebrating you're doing, all the hanging out you're doing, and lights and garland, and put the Advent wreath up, maybe another week or two the tree will be up, you know, all that, it's all going to end. And you don't know when it's going to end. Because the goal is Christmas. What's the real goal? Christ returning in glory. See, there were three Advents. Messiah, the wait, Mary, the birth, and the next Advent is where we are now. And we're waiting, waiting for the Christ to return in glory. And in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew remembered what Jesus said about the return of the Messiah. He's going to come when you least expect it. Some people have taken that to mean I could die tonight and I'll meet Christ. Some people have taken that to mean wars, insurrections, strange things happen in the skies, the end of the world. But you don't have to go that far. Think of what was it, 204, the tsunami? Took a quarter million people by surprise. It literally shook the world. As a matter of fact, we were flying back from Italy that year, and the plane shook. Eh, you're up in the sky, don't take any notice of it. You know, you're sleeping and all that. But when we landed, we heard the news that the earth shook with that tsunami. And that's physical, natural happenings. Jesus is telling us, Son of Man will come back when you least expect it, so be on guard. Which means, prepare properly. You don't have to be hysterical, you don't have to go to a mountain, you don't have to go to a monastery. We have to live properly. We have to, quote, decorate properly. We have to celebrate properly. We have to look forward to the coming of Christ properly. And, and, and you know what that means. Because he's going to come back when you least expect it. Talks about Noah. Give you a little story about Noah. He's the one that had the mission from God to build this big ark. Not an unusual circumstance in the Middle East in that period near the Tigris-Euphrates rivers. Every year, those rivers flowed, overflowed the banks, and people needed boats to get around. Well, a big deluge came, and Noah was warned from God, get yourself on a boat. Now, this is biblical mythology, historical there are elements that are historical, but not all of it. So Noah says, okay, God, and God says, build the biggest boat you can imagine. And he starts. And everybody's mocking him, because God also said, bring two of every animal and every creature on that boat besides your family. Because there's going to be a big flood, a deluge. And people were mocking him. 
And the prince, this is a metaphor, a prince in the local town saw him building his ark and said, come on, you're, you're such a jerk. What are you doing? Don't be stupid. Forget God's words. And he said, no, I'm going to build it. And he kept mocking him, acting like a jackass, you might say. When the flood came, Noah was on the ark. And the prince was on the top floor of his palace. And the water was rising. And you've seen that in our own country. But this is a metaphor based on the ark. The water was rising. And the prince is at the top pinnacle of his palace. And he says to Noah, get, get, get me on that boat. Get me on that boat. And Noah says, sorry, we have our quota. We already have two jackasses. Thank <clears throat> you.